Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Jeremy Smith. There's a bit of chill hitting the UK at the moment, so let's warm you up with what other than another topsy-turvy league uh, weekend. But before we get out the hot water bottles for you all, here's the week's headlines. Friday began with an interesting clash between Strasbourg and Montpellier that very quickly became very uninteresting indeed, as it ended up scoreless without too much of note in the game. In Saturday's early match, Toulouse came from behind to draw 3-3 with Monaco. A Ronnie Lopez double either side of Ibrahim Sangare's strike, along with Jovetic's finish, gave the champions a 3-1 lead, but a controversial penalty decision led to Leonardo Jardim asking for VAR to be implemented now, gave Lee VLA uh, a route back into the game, and Yaya Sanogo scored the equaliser with three minutes to play. In the multiplex, Angers earned a vital three points away to Lille. Ex-Angers man Nicolas Pepe looked to have stole a point with a lake equaliser for the hosts, but Carl Tokoy Kambe's second ensured that they would rise above their hosts who drop into the relegation places. As for their other relegation rivals, Amiens grabbed all three points in a gutsy 1-0 victory at Nantes, while Troyes sank to a 2-0 defeat at Rennes as Dijon won their seventh home game out of eight as they dispatched Caen 2-0. On a jam-packed Sunday, Bordeaux and Nice not get us off to the greatest of starts with a nil-nil draw at the Matmut Alantique. In the Rhone derby later on, Matteo Debussy popped up in stoppage time in order to earn a one-all draw against Lyon. That's the sixth time now this season that the hosts have dropped points from winning positions and are now winless in five in their last five league and games. On Sunday night, Paris Saint-Germain almost went Super Saiyan, you might say, as they cruised to a comfortable 3-0 win over Marseille. Kylian Mbappe, Edin Scavani and Rolando's own goal were the difference, but the headlines were stolen by Neymar, who was stretched off with an ankle injury just 10 days before their crucial second leg tie against Real Madrid. And that's all for now, but for all the latest in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with Les Classiques, um, not intentionally rhyming there, but I'd like to add a little bit of flair at least, which wasn't quite the enthralling affair we'd hoped for, Rich. Um, did it feel like PSG weren't really forced out of third gear last night? Uh, yeah, exactly that. Um, I've been championing Marseille, it feels, of late. Um, and so coming into this, I was expecting that, you know, they, they as we saw in the first match um, late last year, they get, I think I questioned whether, whether the PSG players really got the importance of this game. Marseille got it um, in, in the, the uh, fixture at the Velodrome. So I was really hoping that that we'd get a you know a Marseille side that would could be out of the blocks quickly, um, would look to really press PSG early on. We've seen once or twice this season what happens with with teams that can do that is they can they can ruffle um, PSG. Um, 
that wasn't really the case. Um, it seemed to be the sort of timid Marseille side that we've... It seems like we haven't seen that for quite a while. So it was a little mm. surprised to see that return. But it was it was a game where the big game, you know, big name players failed to perform. Um, Tovan, I have praised him immensely of late, but he was anonymous. Payet was anonymous. Um, and we saw those defensive frailties. So PSG really didn't have to try too hard. Um, maybe maybe a, a three-goal uh, margin was was perhaps flattering them a little bit, um, but it was a for what is a, a very very big game with with importance for both sides. It was a game that PSG really really were were rarely under any kind of serious pressure. Mm, yeah, and and Jeremy, we we spoke before this really on a, a couple of our shows, both the normal one and the on our preview show, thinking that especially this game and the Le Classique that's coming um, in a couple of days' time as well in, in the Coupe de France as well. It feels like they were real tests for Paris Saint-Germain to try some different things ahead of that second leg against uh, Real Madrid in uh, 10 days' time. <laughs> Was this really a good enough test for them for that kind of level? It's a difficult one because everyone's obviously mentioning that a lot of games in Ligue 1 and even players for PSG themselves, Rabiot mentioning that, that victory against Dijon after uh, losing at the Bernabeu, but this felt like an opportunity to their having them a test, but they didn't really try anything new. It, it was relatively easy in the end. Yeah, I, I think it, it kind of all worked out very well for them with a sort of a very early goal, sort of on 10 minutes in, and then Marseille just pretty much showed nothing. Um, I think Emery has experimented a reasonable amount in recent league matches. Um I suppose the biggest experiment you could say in this one was um, starting off with with Diara in the, in the defensive role and, and still keeping Los Celso in the team a little bit further forward. But um, I mean, before the match, I would have said they definitely wouldn't have experimented because, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, the, the classic has been built up into such a big thing, and, um, and Marseille you know, did did almost grab that win in the first in the first meeting between the two so um even though PSG are sort of miles ahead in the league I still think it was kind of an important important match for them to win so yeah beforehand I would have said that Emery was going to play safe just to make sure he did win but you know ha- having gone two goals up and Marseille really not showing any signs of of even coming close to to making a game of it possibly he could have played around a little bit more but I think maybe he he went more for the this is going to be easy. Let's all kind of relax and and save our legs and save our energy for for bigger matches to come. Yeah, which it's a risky one given that how big the game will be in a in a couple of weeks. But they were shown to really be worth it. But a couple of things that were maybe minor flashpoints, and it, it looks maybe a little bit more serious than it was in the end, Rich, that, that Neymar injury, really. He sort of um, rolled his ankle a little bit. I think I've done that. Well, I think everyone's done that a couple of times on a five-a-side. Sometimes that can be a little niggle that maybe feels a little bit funny for a day and then it's fine. Sometimes it, it blows up a little bit and you, you've maybe got a weak thing, but obviously sometimes it can be a ligament injury. It looks like it's not going to affect him an enormous amount. They're probably going to keep him out of the game midweek, but he's expected to still be a part of that um, Real Madrid game but that was for at least a, a brief moment in time with him seemingly either in pain or in tears depending on who you're asking really to be fair while he was on the, the stretcher a, a real worry 
Um, I think it was a worry. Uh, I think that there may be um, cause that the media perhaps um, maybe made a little bit too much of it. Um, you know, it's Neymar, so you know he could sneeze, and the keeper put out an article of of how this is going to be the downfall of Paris or something like that. But um, uh, he, yeah, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be too bad. I've seen one or two people suggest, oh well, you know, Emery should have taken him off earlier. Well. Neymar's Neymar. He just, he just, you know, unless he scored four goals and assisted another three, and is coming off in the 90th minute, he just doesn't get substituted. Um, he either can doesn't just, play. Can I just quickly butt in just to say I've literally yeah. just got a news flash from Lekip saying that he's, I think he's broken a metatarsal and there's a doubt for the Real Madrid match. Ooh. Or is that sometimes <laughs> <laughs> Lekip? Yeah. We've I half wonder if this is now going to be a little bit of. Uh, we've seen it a little with with uh, with Guardiola in the Premiership of well, you know, such and such player is definitely going to be out, and lo and behold, yeah, now if we kick off, they mysteriously make it to the team. So I, I'm under not a, not too much doubt that that he will um, he will play a part in that Madrid game. Um, yes, he's going to miss the Coupe de France game. He should miss the the weekend's league and fixture as well. He, he will play a part in that. Um, I'm sure of it because ultimately it's the, it's the game now that will define the rest of, of PSG season um, for the time being. Anyway, until if they make it through to the next round, but um, it it didn't look it, it's slow motion, isn't it? As we always say, it's going to look worse, especially going over on your ankle because it's a fine line between literally just rolling it and it's just a very, very minor sprain to something far, far more serious. Um, you know, I think I think the way that, that, that he went off on a stretcher and clearly upset, um, you know, I suspect all of that um, played its part for the media storyline and headlines that, you know, this is this major injury problem. And I think PSG will probably now manage that to their advantage in the lead up to the game. But... Um, it was um, it was probably it was really the the only major cause for concern for PSG uh, last night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The real conflicting reports at the moment, isn't there? I mean, even Sky Sports are saying that he might be out for three weeks as well. It, it could always be mind games in these kind of things because it, I, I'm just going to throw it out there. I didn't think it looked that bad. I, I think the slow motion makes it look a lot worse than it was, and I honestly think as well that the, they may be playing up the fact that um, he was quote-unquote crying I, I think it was probably him more just in pain more than anything and trying to sort of hide that more than anything than they're than they're trying to cry but the other interesting little tidbit at least anyway for PSG and it's again probably a little bit of nothing really uh Jez but that was when Kylian Mbappe was substituted he, he kind of shook his head he wasn't very pleased about coming off but that to me, and I, I should probably you're thinking the same, that's less of the politics of being angry about being substituted because he feels like he shouldn't be substituted. It's because he wants to play every minute of football, I would assume. Do you, you think that's been a bit uh, overblown? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was too much to it. I mean, he's he hasn't been in the most sparkling form recently. I suppose, you know, he scored a, scored a decent goal and... Marseille's defence always looks a little bit there for the taking, but maybe last night more than other times, he probably fancied staying out there and you know, maybe adding to his tally because, you know, he, him and Nolan Rue are in 
pretty tight tight race for who's going to finish high scorer but um i uh, i don't have any concerns in general from Mbappe. i think um you know Mbappe's drop in form is still the kind of form that most players would, would dream of and with the service he's still going to get and the fact that he's got a, unlike Cavani he's got a decent relationship I think with Neymar um, I think he'll be fine I think it was just a little bit of frustration but nothing too much I just think he needs to be slightly careful about being a little bit too distracted by off the pitch things you know there's a lot of fuss made about him having dinner with with um Macron, George Weir, and he got into a spat yesterday and today with Benoit Sokoto, um sort of related to that, making comments about, you know, all these quaint European footballers pretending that they care so much about Africa, but they're not actually pl- playing for their European nation and all this kind of thing. I just think I'd like him to sort of, you know, really get his head down and just concentrate on the football, but he's such a talented player that I think it would take a lot to sort of... um to sort of really affect his form in any in any negative way. Yeah. I think that I think last night was was more a case of, you know, yeah, he hasn't been playing well of late, but it's a very big game. Um probably you know, the biggest one of the biggest domestic games PSG will play. He's got an early goal and you know he's then hauled off after an hour. Um I think it's it's just a minor bit of frustration and annoyance on his part. It doesn't look good for a young player to be shaking his head so visibly and, and looking so visibly annoyed coming off and then looking so you know, moody sat on the bench. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not in total agreement that that is something that we need to be seeing um, because it, it does come across then of whatever the intentions are that he, you know, whatever he's meaning by, by, by doing that, it just comes across that he is, frustrated at Emery. It, it looks like a show of disobedience against Emery. And that's not the presentation that you want to be giving yourself or the club. I think there was there was um you know there's there's no doubt that with the quality of players around him he's bound to improve in that sense. But there was a point later on, to be fair it was after Clinton and G just lashed out at Marquinhos and arguably was reasonably lucky to only get a yellow card. You had Mota, Alves, and Neymar sort of trying to, um, you know, in their own way make peace, and you know, obviously not make peace whatsoever. And you just think, with players like that around, and I really do include Neymar in that. You know, the way he plays football can be fun, but I think some of his behaviour on the pitch is is pretty nasty. And even with that injury, as as two of you were discussing earlier, I do think there's an element of sort of Hollywood and crying wolf to it. With with players like that around, you do worry that Neymar could, uh, that Mbappe, sort of behaviour-wise, could be influenced in a in a negative way rather than a positive one. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sheen of being the the perfect little um, schoolboy teacher's pet that we we sort of had at Monaco for that six months has completely evaporated now, at least anyway, <laughs> very quickly at least. Let's talk about. The visitors then a little bit, and you you hit about it a little bit there, Jess. And I want to talk uh, to you about it, Riches. Is the couple of flash points that really Marseille had? They they weren't really particularly great on the night, but they had a a couple of moments where where it, it's the tension seemed to get to them, or, or the annoyance, the frustration. There was a couple of kicks out of Neymar. There's a couple of kicks out of different players, but especially the one within G where 
Um, he does have a kick out at Marquinhos and all of a sudden every single player wants a piece of G and he's pushing everyone away. It's especially if he, he'd pretty much just come on at that point as well. Um, it, he was looking to stay on the pitch really. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I can, he got a little bit frustrated because as, um, as he got tackled, I think Marquinhos sort of gave him a little nudge to the ground as he tried to go past him. He lashed out, shouldn't have lashed out. I think the player that's probably the luckiest of them all is, is a Campos. Um, I thought his his foul in the first half on, on Danny Alves, that's that's red card worthy. He, he came in over the ball, studs up on, you know, first glance I was a bit bit dubious as to, you know, is, is, is Alves perhaps moving this? But you see it on the replay, there's no doubt. He, he comes in over the ball, studs up, sort of just above the ankle um, of Alves. It was really, really nasty. That That should have been a red card. I think Ng's probably was handled just about right. I think I don't think it was red card worthy. Um, he was just a frustrated man who'd come on and wanted to to do something and reignite Marseille from what had been a, a very tepid performance. Um, lashing out makes it sound, I think, perhaps far more severe than it it really was. It was a bit of you know, a little Petulance. little flick here. Yeah, a little flick here, a few shoves here and sort of mouthing off a little bit. But there wasn't anything too, you know, I didn't feel there was anything that crossed the line from a booking to a red card. But a Campos is in the first half. Oh, I, yeah. can't, I can't defend that from being anything but a red card. Absolutely. I think it was more of an orange, wasn't it? You would say maybe for an NG to, to bring a football cliche, really. But the interesting one for me, Jess, and a lot of people picked this out, at the start before the game even started this is the change that Rudy Garcia decided to make we'd, we'd mentioned how he'd sort of finally molded this team correctly and, and got a nice bit of balance to the team and then he takes out one of the real star performance recently in, in Morgan Sanson and, and takes much more of a risk of playing Ocampos and, and Paye in the central area and Tovan and, and uh, Germain a, a very attacking side against the best team in, in Liga by a, a fair way and one of the best teams in Europe um, it seemed a strange decision and it was one they rectified it pretty quickly in terms of having a sub in the first half but it was a it was a poor decision and it, it backfired in a, in a big way didn't it I think he was trying to um, keep as much as possible to the to the team that um, gave PSG such a, a tough time in the in the first match between them and certainly in t- in terms of Ocampos versus Sam Sanson, there must be a, a, a kind of an element of, you know, PSG don't like it up and sort of thing, you know, get someone in there. Sanson's not the type who's going to sort of, you know, be going in two-footed and that kind of thing. And obviously there's a fine line and, yeah, Ocampos did step over it and possibly was substituted for his own good. But maybe you can see Garcia's thinking in... in you know, having a campus running around like a, a madman, um, worrying players that are going to be thinking about that match against Real Madrid and thinking, you know, maybe that's going to soften them up a little bit and give us half a chance. If it had worked out, then everyone would be saying, you know, well, what a great idea by Garcia. But yeah, I, th- I think it, it very much backfired. It didn't work out at all. Um, but I, I mean, overall, I, I, not for this match, but I just... If Garcia, I think if Garcia was Lyon manager, they would be completely out of sight. Still in second place to PSG, but I don't think 
Marseille or Monaco would be close to them. Um, I, I still, I know I get stick for this. I still think this Marseille team is very average. And um, I think the job that Garcia is doing just to keep them up there. When you see players like Payet and Tovin that, you know, against really decent opposition, they've just got absolutely nothing to show. I think it's astounding what Garcia has been doing just to get them to, to be winning week in, week out against all the other teams, just to give them half a chance. Yeah, I, I think personally as well, the, the the decision to take out Sanson from that side restricts someone like Tovan because Sanson adds that sort of link between the midfield and the attack. And that's, I think, what they really missed uh, last night. They, they have Sambo and Guisa to try and do a little bit of that, but he's not always going to be that dynamic, especially passing and passing wise in the, in the attacking third or, or starting attacks off um, in that sort of, in PSG's half, at least, it really restricted them. I thought Paye was very much a passenger in that middle part of the field, and and a Campos was a bit too physical. But it, it just seemed strange to go away from something that had succeeded over the last sort of five, ten weeks. You would think um, that having that consistency, because they're a much different team, I would say overall um, than they were when they drew with Paris Saint Germain. Uh, back in last year. Um, I think, and, as you said, you want to, against the best opposition, you should want to sort of play your best team. Hmm. And I don't think there's any doubt that, that Sanson is amongst their, their best players and certainly their most creative. So, yeah, in that sense, I definitely think it was a strange choice. Hmm, yeah. Given, given the consistency that midfield, I think, gave them as well, it very strange and a little bit too risky, really, in the end. Um, on to the Rome derby that <laughs> should have more had a jam-packed Sunday, really, of, of interesting games. And that was a certainly feisty affair, as it always tends to be. There was a little bit of a, an enjoyable motif, really, from the Lyon fans before the game, uh, poking the finger in one last time, really. But, Rich, again, it was a game with Lyon, took the lead, had chances, looked dangerous at, at times, but slowly faded away in the second half as Saint-Étienne grew and grew and grew, and eventually... Um, they gave way as they tend to do at the moment, Leon. If you want a gift, um, go to Leon because they'll give it you. Um, they've forgotten how to kill teams off, haven't they? It's it's very frustrating to see because I've lost track of the amount of times now where we've seen a really positive first half performance from Leon. Uh, you know, normally on the score sheet, um, chances, some really nice attacking football, some really really positive individual performances. And then second half, something happens. Be it they switch off, be it that the, you know, the opposition just raise their game. Um, I think the frequency that it's happened would indicate that it's more uh, a, a mental problem for for Leon that they just fall asleep. They invite teams to to come out strong in the second half, um, and from that their confidence builds, and all of a sudden you see time and time again, that lead that they, they played so well for in the first half has gone. Um, you know, and, and it's now a point now where it's going to really, really damage their chances of, of taking that second spot. I think they're, I can't remember how many points they're behind now, five, six, seven, something like that. You know, this this time of the season, if you're in this kind of form, it's, it's not impossible to make that up. You know, they, they, these are games that, okay, perhaps home against Saint-Étienne, you know, a draw is not the worst result in the world, but it, it's another performance that we've seen in 
you know, the, the last immediate four games and then other times throughout the season. And not to sound like a broken record, but Leon don't have a plan B. Genesio doesn't have a plan B. I've said it countless times on, on this show, Twitter, everywhere. It the, the plan A for Leon looks really, really nice on paper. And when it works, fantastic. Early part of the season, we saw that. It, it's then the ability to, okay, well, a team have sussed this out. We need to change something. We need to change personnel. We need to change tactics, start the play. And Genesio doesn't seem to have that attribute within him. Therefore, we're finding now that teams can suss out and realise, well, actually, you know what, Leon are just going to switch off after the break. So, providing we don't fall too far behind in the first half, we're going to have 45 minutes where we're going to be on top when they're more tired. Um, you know, we saw it We saw it in the game against Lille. We saw it, you know, the, the, the um, possession and shots that they had in the, the defeat to, to Rennes the other week. You know, it was ridiculous that they lost that game 2-0. And then this game as well, in a game that they really shouldn't be switching off in against their big local rivals, um, who, you know, they they, they they put in one of their best performances of the season in the reverse fixture. To fall asleep in the 90th minute in that way is is, is unforgivable on, on the team and, and Genesio himself. Yeah, because you you think of the talent level that they've got, and they they shouldn't be coming unstuck in these kind of games. And what bigger motivation do you need than than your bitter rivals? You can see from just the motif how much that victory earlier in the season meant to the fans. But it always felt like that goal was going to come in that second half. It always felt like Leon were going to switch off for a brief moment. They they were allowing Saint Etienne back into the game really, and a side that's struggled for creativity. They weren't particularly offensive. For long periods, they didn't really create much really until that goal actually happened. But this now for Leon's season really just feels like Europa League or bust. When five weeks ago, when they beat Paris Saint Germain, you thought that they were almost guaranteed to get second. Now um, they're relying on a cup competition that hopefully they can avoid some big names up until the sort of semi finals and then hopefully um, get a little bit lucky. Um, it's it's a very high risk game because there's some very good teams left in the Europa League, and I mean to the extent that the final is being played at their home ground, you can you can certainly see why they they they'd want to go all out for that. But I think it's just become a necessity now, just because it's just bizarre after that the drop off after that PSG match where you know that they were excellent, they were very good for their win, and just how it's gone wrong since then. It. In, in this match this weekend, possibly I would be a little bit more um, sort of forgiving of them because, you know, I think Thursday's match was, you know, a really impressive result going to Villarreal, which isn't an easy place to go to, and getting getting a win there to, to get them through to the next round was good. And, um, I, you know, during the match, they had a couple of injuries to contend with. I think um, Raphael went off injured. Fekir went off injured later on. I think Toussaint was either injured or ill and had to had to um, go off at half time. So in this case, there are a couple of mitigating factors, but still, I just you know one nil up against Saint Etienne with the the sort of mental advantage that they got from slaughtering them earlier in the season. They they shouldn't be they shouldn't be giving that lead away. But, but then you can say that about most of the last few matches as well. And I just I don't 
Rich Rich talks about Genesio having a plan B. I think you have to give Gasset a bit of credit for for changing Saint-Étienne's formation around, but it's hard not to resist the temptation to put all the blame on Genesio because you know the as I said earlier, I really think that that Leon's team and squad is the second best in Liga at the moment, um, and all of the players show it in spurts. But Genesio's not getting the best out of them. He's often not getting them to play as a team, and I find it, you know, unless they win the Europa League, I, I can't see how he's still going to be there at the start of next season. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a little bit of injury worry there, really, for, with a, with a, with a Fekir coming off as well, with a with a seemingly slight knee injury. Supposedly, he wasn't on a brace or anything like that, and didn't need crutches afterwards. So it it might just be a little bit of a knock. But I'm just seeing uh, now that Paris Saint Germain have announced that Neymar has suffered a fractured metatarsal and a sprained ankle. So that sounds like um, if it is a particularly fractured metatarsal, he might be out of that. Real Madrid game now, but we'll we'll keep that in our back pockets and uh, we'll talk about that possibly near the time now because uh, that is an interesting one as well. But an opportunity missed really then for Monaco, who obviously knew that Lyon had a big derby game. Marseille had the Le Classique to contend with it with top of the league, but they ended up with a 3-3 draw really and that was without controversy we'll, we'll talk about in the moment, in the, in the minute really. But... Uh, Regardless of that, Richard, Rich, it's 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 a tough one being three-one up against the Toulouse side that are struggling this season. Um, you feel like that's the kind of game that Monaco need and should be winning. It absolutely is, without a doubt. You know, in in the run-in now, every coach, every team with a with a shot at at uh, you know some like European place <clears throat> will have penciled in right win. We'll, we'll, you know, three points there, three points there, three points there. This, without a doubt, is one of those games. You know, Toulouse have really been struggling of late. Um, they're struggling to, to find the net. They're conceding plenty of goals. Um, Monaco are in a 3-1 position. Um, going into the final just over 10 minutes. Um, there's there's absolutely no reason. There's no, no obvious reason why, why Monaco... Should have thrown this away, you know. Really encouraging performance from Ronnie Lopez, who I think has stood out numerous times this season um, in the sort of quote unquote Bernardo Silva replacement role, which was never going to be the easiest of labels to take on. But I think he stepped up really, really well. Um, two goals from him, three-one, and, and things seem to be you know pretty rosy. And hindsight of the weekend, what a what a you know what three points would have done for, for Monaco. But, you know, a, a, a contentious penalty decision later. Um, and it, it comes down to Yaya Sonogo to score a, a winner. Uh, sorry, an equaliser two minutes from time, which for Toulouse, I suppose, would have felt a bit like a winner. Mm, yeah. And without controversy is definitely the way to put it because uh, Leonardo Jardim was very unhappy, really, after the final whistle, just because of the penalty that Toulouse got to get themselves back in the game. And it was a, a very strange one, really. Sonogo's going for an overhead kick. Uh, Glick, whether you think rightly or wrongly, is stepping towards him as if to challenge for a header. Um, obviously, Sonogo falls over. It's it's a, a little bit bumbly, but 
the referee gives a penalty for that. We've seen free kicks given for high foots in these kind of scenarios more often than not. Um, it was a very bizarre decision and one that obviously turned the game on its head. Yeah, I mean, I, before the match, I thought that Monaco might struggle. Um, Toulouse really gave him a good game in the first match of the season and um, Mikel de Beve has, has made them a bit harder to beat in recent weeks. But having gone 3-1 up and against a Toulouse team that barely ever scores, yeah, I thought I thought Monaco were going to be quite comfortable from there. Um, the penalty changes, I guess, changes everything. Although, you know, still I think Monaco should have had enough to to close up shop and keep it to to 3-2. But it was a it was an awful decision. I mean, um, you could argue maybe Glick nudges Sonogo, but you know it's a contact sport. It was it wasn't the kind of nudge that tipped him off balance or anything like that. I think Sonogo's you know it didn't affect the fact that he was going to try some ridiculous overhead kick, um, which didn't come close to pulling off. And you know arguably. Um, not arguably. I mean, the referee saved him from embarrassment, and and he got a hell of a lot more into the bargain. So I can understand Jardim being being furious about the decision, but you know, Toulouse, who barely ever score, scored three goals. The penalty only accounts for one, so um, you can't you can't pin it all on the ref at all. Yeah, I think with any kind of games like this where you are expected to win and uh, a win would have been massive really if you think about it as well with Monaco lo- with uh, Marseille dr- losing and and Lyon ending up drawing as well it, it could have made a little bit of a, a buffer between the Monaco and the other two and given that they both have to play each other still in, in a few weeks time that it gives them an extra little bit of a, a cushion and it's, it's certainly a chance missed at least anyway they should be putting teams like Toulouse away. While wow, they can be a, a tricky customer, if you put three past the Toulouse side, who are um, sometimes a little bit stingy and have been incredibly goal-shy this season, um, you should be putting them away, really. And no excuses, even with that penalty. There's a first and a third goal that they could have stopped, really, but um, managers will always look for uh, something to, to help alleviate, shall we say, the, the pressure on some of the players that they get from that. Um, but there was a big... Big game at the bottom of the table, really, this weekend. And it was a massive result for Angers, who uh, had that win against Lille that plunges their opposition into danger. It's chop and change every week, really, with those bottom two at the moment. But particularly for the away side, um, Rich, with them having a bit of poor form, we've mentioned that in the last couple of weeks that some of their draws that they got early in the season are coming back to bite them and some of those results that they got it, there were draws early in the season of turning to losses. Um, that was a big, big win for them. Uh, absolutely massive. Um, it, it highlights, I think, <clears throat> mental resolve in its its positive and negative light. Um, you know, Angers took the lead um, sort of midway through the uh, the second half. Um, Leo had Leo throughout the game had the vast majority of possession. Um, Boulanger took the lead, um, let their heads drop. Former former Angers player Pepe gets the equaliser, and you just think, you know, that, that's a big knock. I think for Angers to, you know, to be to concede that late on, and you think, oh, you know, good on Lille for for fighting and not giving up, and 
heads drop immediately after scoring and, and from the kickoff, pretty much. Toko Kambe goes down the other end of the pitch and, and gets the winner. And you just think it's a you know it's it's a fantastic three points for Angers and a huge a huge time to be securing them against probably their biggest relegation rival. But it's it's potentially potentially a fatal loss for Lille. You know, to have lost in that manner in a game that they had to win. You know, I, I, I struggle to see how, how that team can recover now. You know, there's a lot of young players in that side um, who arguably are not perhaps the strongest mentally. Um, they've had a very poor season. To culminate then in this loss, as I say, in the manner that it was, Galtier has got to perform some kind of miracle, I think, to to turn this round because that the mood in that Lille camp now is going to be beyond rock bottom. Um, conversely, Angers can take great positives from this, you know, to have conceded late on, to still fight back and, and retake the lead and get those three points. Um, they now have to look at, at keeping that positive feeling within the camp going to push it forward. And and, and as ever with, with teams in this manner, is, is utilise that and take it into their next game. Yeah, especially if the four defeats in five before that one, um, it's a massive result for Angers and they've got, it's never really easy really. I think March looks pretty poor for both teams, but we'll focus on Angers first. They've got Gengomp next, but then there comes Bordeaux and, and PSG and, and then they've got Colne at home as well to finish off the month. But I do want to mention really, um, Jesse, one man in particular, and it's not surprising we mentioned him really. He's scored two again in this game, absolutely vital to the squad is Carl Toko Ikambe. Um, 13 goals this season. Um, is there a player more important to their side than he is at the moment? I don't think so. I mean, I on paper, I do think that they've got a um a nice squad, some some really talented players there. Um, you know, they've still got the the bulk of the the defence that was so impressive a couple of seasons ago. They've got Butel back. Um they've got, you know, some some talented midfielders. Fulgini I like a lot. Tate and Capel often um sort of pop up with some with some good finishes. But yeah, I it seems like when Toko can be scoring they've got a chance when he when he doesn't they don't. I think he's got forty five percent of their goals this season and actually I was surprised it wasn't higher than that when I saw that stat. Um, I think these were his first goals in open play actually since December. Um, and yeah, it's probably not that surprising that that's probably the time that their, their, their form has really dropped off while he hasn't been as prolific as the first half of the season. But I think it was, they did a great job making sure that he stayed until the end of the season. And, um, if they stay up, I still, I'm still not 100% sure they will, but if if they stay up, it's almost certainly going to be down to him. Um, and, you know, the first one was a sort of nod in from about two yards, so I'm not going to give him too much credit for that one. But the second one was the winner. Um, was a was a fantastic finish. And as Rich said, in view of the contact sort of last minute after just being pegged back to, to kind of have the calmness to to, to finish that way with an offside teammate sort of running um, almost across the line of the of the shot and the goal, making it even harder. Um, you know, I think I think that showed that he, he really is a class player and yeah, it's 
it shouldn't be a one-man team, but I think probably more so than any other team in Ligue 1, that's what, that's what they look like at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And he maybe got a tad luckier on one of them at least anyway. But um, it's the only problem for Angers is even if he does keep them up, um, he's definitely going in the summer and then it's replacing someone like that to try and stay up next season. But it does become more and more worrying for Lille, who are definitely in a, a relegation fight if they weren't in one already, Rich. And, and like I mentioned, I, I, I think March is a bit of a hundred month for them really they got Nice away which isn't easy they've got Montpellier at home who are a stickler of a side at the moment and then Monaco as well then they get those interesting games against Amiens and then they've got um, a run against Metz Toulouse and Dijon sort of towards the very end of the season that might just be the kind of games that that keep them up but that's a gauntlet that they have to run before them and, and adding importance to those games is especially when they're late down maybe Metz are possibly already down by the time they face them. So they've got nothing to lose in those kind of games. Maybe Toulouse are still fighting for their lives and, and maybe in better form. You really have to start worrying for them, don't you? Absolutely. You know, you look at that run in from now to the end of the season and you think, where do, where do Lille get their wins? Look at that first and foremost. And you think they're going to be targeting Amiens at home. They're going to be targeting Mets at home. And they might be targeting Dijon at home. I don't see any other games where you could make a really, really strong argument that they'll take three points. Uh, you know, there's the other aside from that, you know, as you say, they've got to play Nice, they've got to play Montpellier, they've got to play Monaco, Bordeaux, Marseille, Saint Etienne. I, I just, I. You know, they may win those, you know, Mets, Mets, that run of Mets to lose Dijon. There's, there's putting up the three games leading into the final game of the season, um, which is the way to Saint-Étienne. You know, they may, they may get the points there, but that may be too late by then. Um, it's still, the, the only thing going in their favour is still just how ridiculously tight it is um, throughout that, from the bottom all the way up to, I think I tweeted out after the, after the games this weekend, that, that Montpellier in fifth are 11 points off Lyon in fourth and 11 points off Toir or Lille now in, uh, Toir in 18th. You know, it's ridiculously close. And that that could be the only thing I think that, that can work in, in Lille's favour is having someone like Galtier in charge. Um, you know, he's a, a very experienced league and coach. Um, and the fact that there are going to be a lot of teams um, who perhaps don't have that league and experience, be it on the pitch or, or on the on the sidelines. So that's the only I think that's the only positive I think I can give to Lille is that throughout all their dreadful, torrid form and this really crushing defeat, it's still so so close. You know, one win and they're out of the relegation actually next next weekend. So there's still huge amounts to play for, but. They're really running out of games now where they can be confident going in, thinking we're going to take all three points. Yeah, it really keeps toing and froing, doesn't it? I mean, we, we thought that Angers might be down there and, and and other teams might start struggling. But looking at the results, weekend, Toir obviously lost. Mets drew. They were far away from, from beating Gengon, which would have really put a, another stickler up there. But Amiens picked up a win, so they 
such unexpected leeway at Nantes so they leap up the table and, and maybe draw Strasbourg a little bit closer because they could only draw uh, Conlos. They're, they're starting to sink maybe slightly closer as well. And then you look at the fixtures next weekend and Twire placing PSG. That's almost a write-off for them. Amien face Ren, who are, who are in decent form, but Amien have shown in the last couple of weeks that they can spring a surprise. There's that massive game between Mets and Toulouse as well, which could really be an absolute sinker for, for Mets, but something that Toulouse can maybe use as a springboard to to try and join Saint-Étienne and Dijon, who are teams that maybe feel just about enough safe um, as it is. And, and Confey Strasbourg, that's a massive game. Who, if there's a winner in that one, again, they, that's another team that maybe can feel safe. So it does get more and more interesting the further we go along, really. And it's there's not, like you say, there's not a thinning of the herd, which makes every team still have a little bit of hope. But every time they get a knock, they start looking at the fixtures ahead and going, there's not many more hopes that we can keep looking forward to if, if uh, results keep going the wrong way. Um, let's finish up this week with one of my favourite segments, and that's our League on Snapshots. And I'll start with you, Jess. Um, I'll, what is your League on Snapshot this week? Um, I was going to mention the... Um... The uh, Lyon Tifo of the you know, the massive banner, if you want to call it that, of uh, of Fekir holding up the t-shirt of the shirt after scoring in that first Saint-Étienne match. But you mentioned that earlier, so I'm just going to mention. I think there were three um, penalty. I mean, there were more than three penalties this this week. Kasri scored on as well, but there were three penalties. I think scored by Mole, Tavares, and Delors. All three of them were sort of cracking Kevin Pressman style top corner rockets. Um I just I enjoyed watching them this weekend. I thought they were good fun. Rich, what's your league on snapshot? Uh mine we're down to the um the third tier to the National. Um and there was a game this weekend um between uh Leon's sort of second team, uh Leon Ducher and a and a Parisian based team called Entente. And there are two goals in that game, which are their goal of the season. You, you you take goal of the you give the goal you give goal of the season to both of them if you can. The first um, scored by uh, Entente. There's a there's a free kick that comes into the almost the corner of the penalty area, and the defender sorry the the Entente attacker is sort of backing away from it, and almost as he's falling over, just overhead kicks it into the, the, the far top corner. It's it's a if you can dig it out, watch it because you know that's this is a remarkable goal. The technique on it, I don't know whether how much luck was involved, but you watch it back and you just think how on earth has that, that gone in? And then um the second then goal I think it's the winner I think for, for Leon Duchere was um it was sort of akin to the old Paul Skulls volleyed effort from against Wimbledon a few quite a few seasons ago now corner comes in and there's a there's a Leon Ducher player on the edge of the area and absolutely first time cracks a volley in as sweetly hit as you could possibly hit a volley into the top corner I know the um the Guardian YouTube site have, have published a little video to show both of them do check them out because they are stupendous goals yeah, I mean, that volley one as well, like you say, it, it is an absolute stunner. The one that it reminds me of is, is, and I apologise to Aston Villa fans because I was there as well, was was the it was a volley for Paul Scholes against uh, Aston Villa where 
it was straight from a corner into a full volley into the top corner. Um, I was actually in the Aston Villa away end, in the sorry, in the in the home end. Uh, it's easier to, to get tickets, and I I almost left off my seat and had to be pulled down by my dad before we got uh, beat up by a load of brummies. But um, <laughs> I apologise for Aston Villa fans for reminding of that, and then uh, stealing possibly one of their seats as well. But an absolute <laughs> thunderbolt of a goal. But um, my favourite league on moment of this week. There's two really that stand out for me. Um, number one is. I'm surprised you didn't mention it, Jez, and that's what we did briefly earlier on, and that's Nolan Roux um, finally getting double figures for the first time in his league and career. It, it seems slightly strange that he's never quite reached that total given how long he's been in the league, um, how many relatively decent clubs he's played for, at least uh, Lille and Saint-Étienne were at the time when he, he played for them, at least. But he never really was a prolific goal scorer. But to get that notch nice and early as well in late February he's still got a few months left maybe he can even reach out for the 13 14 maybe even 15 goal barrier that'd be a nice little surprise for someone that um a lot of people had a lot of hope for in, in his early career I remember at Nancy there was high expectations of him and and uh when he did move on it and towards uh towards Lille and and, and Santetienne and teams like that, people thought that he was the kind of player that could maybe kick on in his young years. It never quite happened for him, but it's always nice to have a little mini Rene Sonsen, never mind when it when it comes in. And uh, my other favourite one, I spotted this on the uh, Liga YouTube channel, and a uh, very strange moment really at Dijon. It was a bit of a future afternoon, I might think you might say. Number one, the, uh, the DeLorean from Black to the Future was in the uh, car park before the game for uh, fans to have a little bit of a look out. And the uh, ceremonial kickoff was done by a small robot. Um, that proceeded to dab after, after t- taking the kickoff, which uh, um, seemed to sum up Dijon, really, who are home warriors at the moment. Really, seven wins out of eight. There's not many better than that, really, in Liga. And we do want to finish. I, I should have brought this up earlier, really, during our Monaco chat, but there was a, a question by one of our fans. And if you do have questions, please do tweet our main account. They tend to send them my way, at least anyway. If not, if, if you want as well, send them my way at Nathan J. Staples on Twitter send me questions in. I always love to hear from yourselves and, and what we can add. Um, what uh, our friend Milan Jar wants to talk about is uh, Jardim's obsession with Andrea Raji, really. He mentions he's awful and a liability as a centre-back and even worse as a left-back and I would to some degree concur. But Rich, he, at least by Jardim, is seen as the, maybe the old head but Mr. Reliable in a way, isn't he? I would, I would argue that I, I love him. I think he's absolutely brilliant. He's the player that's there's there's not many that are there from the the sort of quote unquote good old days of of Monaco before um, they became to this this new project that everyone knows now. But he is, as you say, he's just reliable. You know, he's not a fantastic defender. I don't think anyone proclaims that he is, but he's a reliable player. He's an experienced player. Um, and he'll, you know, anywhere along that back line, he'll slot in and he'll do a job. He's not going to be a world beater, never has, never will be. But, um, you know, I think he's great. I really, I really do. And, I, I, you know, long, long may he continue. Long may he continue with Monaco. Jez, are you in Are you in a raggy corner or are you maybe a, a little bit more frosty on him? Uh a little bit more frosty than than Rich, apparently. Um, I, I think. I mean, I yeah, I agree with a lot of what Rich said. I think he's just um, kind of reliable in the sense that he can play anywhere across that 
that back four. So, um, you know, if they do have injuries or lack of form or anything, you can, you know, he's he's able to to slot into any of those positions and do a, a reasonable job, not necessarily a world class job, but a reasonable job. He's obviously, you know, a very good leader on the pitch. Can even, as he did a couple of weeks ago, I think, pop up with with a goal. Um, he's, you know, set pieces. He can be pretty pretty useful at both ends. He's not necessarily going to be the, the the quickest at kind of coming back and um, facing speedy wingers, but um, he's still sort of a you know a strong, intimidating presence on the pitch. So I can understand why um, he's very valued as a squad player. But yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, Monaco are going to be winning too many Champions Leagues with him starting, but um... he, he he did though he did play a very important role in that run to the semi-finals last season. You know he was called upon in in those knockout round games time and time again, and I just felt that you know what he he stepped up and performed, and he's just he, he's he's dependable, providing you're not setting the the bar too high. <laughs> if that's that's not damning with fake praise, but um, I just you know he's he's a he's a a very good okay player. Now you look <laughs> at you look at, you look at the the fullbacks of basically any of the top four teams, and he's not you know you certainly couldn't say that he's completely out of place compared to to any of them. You know even a, a PSG, the you know arguably the the four sort of main squad fullbacks none of them are real world beaters Alves was in his day but I really don't think he is anymore so um you know he's, he's really not that far off so basically what we're saying he's he's the very best of the absolute average middle mean <laughs> score really from the sounds of things and I, I, I'm a little bit concerned that personally that Monaco aren't investing in another defender or, or someone to play as cover because they've got Raji. He's never injured. He's always there. He can fill in any gut. They, they don't want to add another defender because why Why would they ever need to? The bold, uh, the bold Italian is always there and uh, ready for action as always. So that'll do for this week on uh, the Get For, for Football News Fair. Uh, my thanks to uh, Rich, Jez and all of you listening at home. Uh, join us for the preview show on Thursday and the main show will be back at the same time same place next week. Abianto and goodbye.